Morning, everybody. Just um, a moment to say that, uh, to say thanks again. Uh, Three weeks ago, my family and I were in a car accident, as uh, most of you know, and we were, um, uh, we're all doing fine. So Marilyn's ankle is healing up, my ribs are healing up, Matt is, uh, he had some seatbelt, bruising and he's doing fine. Um, Two things that that brought to mind. One is just how quickly life can change, right? Like you have plans and activities and agendas and in a moment, everything that you thought was uh, on your agenda to do is off and uh, it just happens in a flash. Um, The other thing that it reminded us of in a clear way, not that I needed this reminder, but it did it anyway, is how grateful we are to be a part of this community of faith called Hope. Um, So for all of the prayers that were prayed and the texts and the emails and the cards uh, for the meals that you all provided for my family, we are grateful. Um, And uh, uh, it's just a blessing for us to be a part of this wonderful community called Hope. So thank you. We're good, and we won't talk about it anymore. (laughs) So I want to tell um, two scenarios, and um, they sound totally unrelated, but they have something in common. And uh, see if you can pick up on what that common thing is, and I'll I'll be talking about that more. So the first is um, two people who meet each other, and fairly quickly um, become uh, connected, and, and then not long after that, fall in love. And they are deeply in love with one another, and they can't spend enough time together, and when they are together, they're constantly holding hands or arm in arm, and uh, just become infatuated with each other. They can't spend enough time together. They're, everything that each of them says to the other is so interesting, and they just have so much fun together. Very quickly on, they say that, you know, they identify as we're best friends, and Um, you know, this is the person I've waited for my whole life and on and on and on. And then eventually they are uh, engaged and and get married and all of their friends and family come together to help them celebrate their wedding day and their new journey together as husband and wife. Seven years later, they are going through a divorce and have no good thing to say about the other one. What happened? Second scenario, a ministry that has had a national reputation for a hundred years, viewed by uh, Christian men and women around the country as a um, creative, dynamic, passionate center of Christian faith. People from around the country go there to learn and to experience what this ministry is about. They go there to be renewed and refreshed and encouraged and inspired and um, for a hundred years the ministry flourishes. But then over the last 40 years, it's been in decline. 
really kind of uh, slow but steady decline for 20 of those years, and then for the last 20 years, the bottom has dropped out and it is barely hanging on, they're barely surviving. As you, if you could, go behind the scenes and see the leadership of that ministry, what you would see is deep divisions. What you would see is um, warring factions. People who have self-interest and personal agendas, hidden agendas. You'd see a ministry of silos where leaders are interested in one aspect of the ministry, but not the ministry as a whole. And now that ministry that was once um, a flagship of Christianity is a barely surviving organization. The thing that those two stories share in common is what I would describe as a corrupt culture. A corrupt culture. A culture is the way that any organization works day to day. That's what a culture is. The way an organization, whether that organization is two people, a couple, or it's a multinational billion dollar company. Every organization has a culture, the way that it operates day to day in life. You know, often we talk about, when it comes to organizations, we talk about their vision. What's their vision? And then beyond vision, which and vision is about where, where we're going. That's what a vision is. This is where we're going. Strategies are about how we're going to get there. The tools in order to help us realize our vision. Culture is who we are day to day. I remember a couple of years ago at one of our, this church's lead team meetings, one of uh, the people around that table said, culture eats vision and strategies for lunch. Culture eats vision and strategies for lunch. What he meant was that you may have a great vision. You may have a very compelling, high-energy uh, kind of vision. You may have great tools, great strategies for how you want that vision to come into reality. But if the culture is corrupt, it doesn't matter. You will never achieve a good result from a bad culture. You'll never receive a good result from a bad culture. Cultures are developed in one of two ways. Cultures are either developed by default or by design. A culture that develops by default, it means that no one in that organization, particularly the leadership, are paying attention to the culture. And things are just happening uh, as they go, naturally and so forth, and so uh, a process, a way of being, a way of behaving just develops over time, not because there's anybody who's uh, doing that intentionally, it just develops. 
Oftentimes, most times I would say, a culture developed by default is not typically a healthy culture. It's not a healthy culture. It's just whoever has the loudest voice, whoever has the most authority, whoever uh, may be the biggest bully, perhaps, gets their way. And whether or not it works for everybody else or not, it becomes the prevailing way that things get done. It's the culture. Some of you work in companies with a corrupt culture. You might call it a toxic environment. And the reason that you can't stand to go to work is because of the culture of that place. The way that it operates, the way that people behave and talk to each other and deal with each other, it, it just is so demoralizing that you don't even want to be there. A culture that's developed by design has intentionality about it. That people within that organization, and usually people in leadership, are saying there are certain standards that we're all going to abide by in the ways that we act with each other, towards each other, within this community. And these are the things that we're all going to adhere to. And if somebody steps outside of that, we're going to throw a penalty flag, right? We're going to let you know that's not the way that we act. That's not the way we behave. That's not the way we talk to each other for these reasons, right? It's a culture by design. It's intentional. I remember, um, and uh, Marilyn actually tells this story often, it makes me sound really good. Um, so this is a rarity, right? There are a thousand stories we could tell where I got it wrong. This one particular one, I, I apparently got it right. It was, we were married for less than a year. We were in our apartment and we were having dinner and uh, Marilyn said, Hey, give me the salt. And I looked at her and I said, that's not how we ask. <laughs> and she, what? I said, just because we're married doesn't mean that we can now talk to each other, you know, in ways that aren't as respectful, you know. So let's, let's maintain in our relationship things like please and thank you. I got that right. It is establishing a culture, a way that we're going to treat each other. It said, you know, and I wasn't thinking culture and all of that kind of stuff. It was just, this is the way I want us to talk to each other, right? And so couples create the, this kind of culture within their marriage. And it's a process, and it's a negotiation and so forth, but it's so important. It's culture by design. The Apostle Paul understood the importance of culture. In fact, he thought it was so important for this fledgling new organization called the Gathering, the Church, that in most, if not every letter he wrote, he addressed issues of culture within the church. 
He said, this is what the body of Christ should be like. So by way of example, and we're in this uh, two-part series that we're calling Together, um, where we're looking at, you know, community life together. And actually next week, we will literally be together. Our uh, Mount Laurel uh, friends, uh, brothers and sisters, will be with us, so we'll literally be together. So in Paul's letter that he wrote to the church in a city called Colossae, in a book that is in the Bible that we call Colossians, Paul was writing about culture. And uh, so I want to read uh, a few verses, verses 12 through 15, and listen for the cultural implications of this. And uh, I want to circle back around and talk about that. So Colossians 3, 12 through 15, this is what it says. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Now, there's a whole lot going on here, but I think that there's three things about the culture of the church that Paul is raising. He says that the culture of the church should have these three things. One, it should be a place where people make allowances for each other's faults. It should be a place of forgiveness, and it should be a place of peace, all right? These three things should be prevailing in the church. So let's take a look at these three things. The first one, he says, is to make allowances for one another's faults. Other uh, translations use the word forbearance or forbear. I kind of like that. So it's uh, forbear, forgive, and peace. The word forbearance or bearing with one another's faults, the word in the Greek literally is to hold up or to endure. To hold up or to endure. In essence, Paul is saying, put up with the craziness of the people you're in church with. Right? Because you're nuts. Right? Every one of you is nuts. I'm crazy in my own way, right? There's stuff that I think, that I say, that I do, that you would look at and go, what? Just like I would do with you. One of, the, one of my favorite book titles, forget about the book itself, but one of my favorite book titles is Everybody is Normal Until You Get to Know Them. Right? Everybody's normal till you get to know them. We are all different. 
right? We come from different backgrounds, different histories, different experiences, different personalities. We're all different, male and female and cultural differences. We bring all of that that kind of defines us and it makes us different than everybody else. That's the beauty and the brilliance. It's also what makes it difficult to be in community. And so if we're going to be the community of faith together, we have to forbear. We have to not tear each other down, but hold each other up. We have to endure those things about other people that we just go like, I don't, that's, that's just weird, but okay. All right, I accept you as you are. You show me a couple that have been married for a long time, and I will show you people who understand forbearance, right? So let, let me share an example from my own marriage, right? Because my wife is crazy. <laughs> She's, you know, here's an example. I don't know if she stayed. She left, I think, first. Oh, no, she's here. <laughs> so I'm on very thin ice. Watch me dance. All right. Um, for the first 20-some years, if we were in the car, for the most part, I was driving. I have this vision um, uh, issue now. I can't drive, so she does the driving. But, but for 20-some years, I would drive. We would get into the car. And as we were pulling out of the driveway, inevitably, she would ask, do you know where you're going? <laughs> yes, I know where I'm going. Now, what I meant by I know where I'm going is I know the place where we're going. I know why we're going there. I know what I want to accomplish while I'm there. I know where I'm going. What she was asking was, do you know the address? No, I did not know the address, right? But I had gone through my whole life up to that point, getting into cars and going to places I didn't know the address and figuring it out along the way, right? Who's this crazy person who's asking me, do I know where I'm going? Like, ugh. My wife, when we're going somewhere, wants to know exactly where we're going. She wants to know the address, and before we go, she wants to know the route. And she generally wants to know two or three other routes just in case the one route doesn't work out. That's what she means by, do you know where you're going? Right? She's crazy. And she's thinking, this guy is nuts. Like, how are we in a car not knowing where we're going? All right. Any couples resonating with this at all? <laughs> all right. I hear lots of, oh, yeah. What we have since learned over time is with this forbearance thing of, you know, like, that's, you know, that's just the way he is. That's just the way she is. We've actually learned in, in some situations those things that are different about us when brought together actually becomes strengths. It takes a while to figure that out. We still get annoyed with each other, but it's actually a strength. The fact that we are different from each other 
that we have different perspectives and different ways of doing things is actually a strength. We don't all have to be the same. Act and talk and think the same. That's not how God created us. So when we forbear, we can encourage each other, hold each other up, hang in there, endure with each other, and we will have a good culture. The second part of that then is forgive. Paul says we are to be a culture where forgiveness is normative. We live in a broader culture in our world where forgiveness is viewed as a weakness, where apologizing for things that you've done is viewed as a weakness. But in the church community, in the faith community, it is a strength. Jesus is our model, right? Jesus gave his life, died on a cross in order to win our forgiveness before a holy God. Does that sound weak to you? Forgiveness is profoundly strong. To say that even though what you did or said offended me, hurt my feelings, made me feel bad, even though you did that to me, I'm not going to hold that offense against you. I'm letting it go. I'm forgiving you. And I'm doing it preemptively. I'm not waiting for you to ask me to forgive you. I am offering forgiveness. You may not accept it. You may not want it. I'm offering it. I give it. I no longer hold you accountable for that offense. When you have forgiveness as an operating principle within a community, it allows for depth of community that you can never experience without it. It's true in marriage. It's true in corporate life, whether or not we acknowledge it or not. And it's true in the church. Forgiveness is a strength. And Paul even says, look, you need to remember how much you've been forgiven for. Remember how much Christ forgave you. So then you must forgive others. As long as I'm just looking at you, and Heather referenced this in her prayer, as long as I'm just comparing myself to you, looking at you, then I may think that I can hold on to an offense. I can hold on to my anger. I can hold on to my um, whatever it is that I feel toward you because of what you did to me. But when I take my eyes off you and I look at Christ and what Christ has done for me, how much I've been forgiven, how much I needed it, and how freely he gave it, oh, that's right. I need to be forgiving as well. And then the third one in this cultural thing is that um, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, the peace of Christ. This is an interesting word, this idea of peace. You may have be familiar with the word shalom in the Hebrew. Familiar with that word, shalom? Well, the Greek word that is used here is similar in concept, in Um In both cases, it's not 
piece like let there be no violence. I mean, that's implied, I suppose. But really what it means is I want all of the best and richest, richest blessings to come your way. Shalom is a blessing. I want you to experience all of the rich blessings of life. And so what Paul is saying is that in the community, the culture of the church community is one of blessing. I want all of the best that Christ has to offer to be yours. I want the very best for you. Imagine living among a group of people, hundreds of people, who when they look at you, their thought is, I want the best for you. I want the best of what God has to offer, the best of what Christ has to offer in your life. And when I look at you, that's on my mind. That's good stuff, right? So forbearing with each other's faults, forgiving each other's offenses, and wanting the very best for everyone around is the culture of a healthy church. So how does that happen? Right? I mean, that doesn't happen by default. That happens by design. So I want to go back to verse 13 for just a moment. Okay, words will be on the screen. This is what he says. Clothe yourselves, put on the clothing that looks like this. Tender mercy, tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. This, these are the character traits of each individual. This is your work. This is what you have to work on. Tender-hearted mercy, humility, patience. As you're working on that in your life, you can bring health into the community of faith. You can help create a culture that is reflective of what Paul has described here, where we forbear, forgive, and bless with peace. That's what the church is supposed to look like. If the church doesn't look and act like that, it's a corrupt culture, and no good thing grows in a corrupt culture. Josh is going to come. He's going to lead us in a, uh, in a closing song. And as he's kind of getting set up, let me close with this. What happens when a community of faith has a good culture, a healthy culture? Well, let me tell you some things that happen in a church like that. Hundreds and hundreds of children and and teens get a vision for their lives where they see themselves as God's creation, where they understand who they are, not based on what the culture says about them, but on what God says about them. And it gives them a level of confidence 
and assurance and strength that they can carry into the world. A church with a healthy culture is a place where hundreds and hundreds of people gather in small groups to be encouraged and challenged and inspired to grow in their faith. A church with a healthy culture buys a place in a town and says, you know what, we're not going to use it for ourselves, we're going to use it to bless the broader community and creates a meeting place where literally hundreds of men and women throughout the course of a week gather together to struggle to overcome addictions that are destroying their lives. The church with a healthy culture says to families around that in this time of life where you're struggling just to make ends meet, we're going to help you out by providing the groceries that your family is going to need. A church with a healthy culture looks beyond itself to cities that are struggling and says to youth there that we want to be a part of a solution to help raise you up. And it doesn't stop at the borders of our country. It, it reaches out to children in countries like Haiti and Cuba. Good things, beautiful things, powerful things happen when a church has a healthy culture, a God-honoring culture. A church like this.